On this week's episode of We Need to Talk, I'm joined by my dear friend, actress Tiffany Daniels. We sat down to talk about her career journey and the path that led her to being a series regular on a hit Nickelodeon TV show. But we also talk about her upbringing and how being biracial and raised by a white mother made her exposure to black culture come later in her life. She shares some honest reflections on her life, her career, the importance of being on a black sitcom with authentic representation, and what she envisions for her future. You're listening to We Need to Talk. Tiffany Daniels, my dear sweet friend, thank you so much for being on We Need to Talk today. Hi, thank you for having me. Of course, of course. Well, we chat, you know, text, Instagram, but I was like, no, you're coming on the podcast. So I got you on, finally, because we tried last season and it didn't happen for some reason. Yeah, life, but like, life is crazy. Totally fine. It's You're here now. I love it. Um, I'm so excited to talk about you and just your career and, and everything that you're doing. You're an actress. You're an unbelievable dancer. You make me want to go to the gym all the time. <laughs> and- <laughs> With your Instagram post, I'm like, God dang it, Tiffany, now I got to go work out. Um, but you, And you've been in everything, like, known to man, just looking at your IMDb. I'm I just always so impressed and inspired by you. And I've been blessed to share the stage with you, too. Uh, and now you're killing it as Trish on the hit series That Girl Lele on Nickelodeon. But before we even talk about all of your success, what drove you to want to be in arts and entertainment? And was TV and film always the goal for you? Um, let's see. I think that, you know, we always have that thing inside of us, right? It's like, we have to figure out exactly what that thing is. Um, and my mom put me in dance classes when I was three years old. So I started exploring with that thing, whatever that internal thing is very young. Um, my mom was a really shy woman growing up and she wanted me to have a little bit more exposure to community, um, and activities and things. So I'm really thankful that she had the foresight and awareness to do something like that. Um, even though she wasn't giving those same opportunities when she was young. Um, but as a dancer, I just, it was something that came very easily to me and it was something that I could tell, um, I was really passionate about and very serious about at a very young age, mostly just because I was, I was able to compare myself with the other girls and boys in my dance studio. Yeah. Um, it just felt like it was a really just like fun hobby activity for them. But I was like, you're messing up and if you mess up, I'm not going to win that trophy and I need you to pull up. Okay. <laughs> I love it. So there were moments when I wasn't like the most um, (laughs) liked, I guess, at the studio because my approach was just obviously very different from them. Um, So, you know, dance was just something that was very much a part of my life. My mom, I grew up in a single parent home with my mom and she started taking me up to Los Angeles. I grew up in San Diego, sorry. Um, and she started taking me up to Los Angeles for auditions when I was really young. I was still in elementary school, but as a single parent, that means she has to take off work and driving up to Los Angeles. You know how these auditions go. You're in the room for five seconds and then you're out and it's like, okay, now we get back in the car and drive all the way back to San Diego. 
Yeah. Um, my mom was like, I don't think we can keep doing this. So um, unfortunately, we're just going to like stick with dance. And I didn't know no better. I was like, those are, that's where my friends are. So I'll just, I'll just do that. But as I got older and, you know, things really started to shape in my um, dance and musical theater interests and career, I was like, no, this might be something that I really want to pursue. Um, I went to college with the idea of like, I just want to have like a normal college experience. Uh, so I didn't really focus on the arts while I was there. It was more of an extracurricular thing. Mm -hmm. But by the time senior year of college came around, I was voted most likely to not do anything with my degree. <laughs> Hold, pause, time out. That is offensive. I cannot believe that. What? People out here voting on that? Wait, what was your degree then? <laughs> it's true. There was no lie there. I got my degree in, I got a Bachelor of Science in Hospitality. <laughs> okay, oh. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> no! I'm not going to lie. Okay. <laughs> I get it. Yeah, no, it made sense. They were like, we see like you and you, you're having fun cooking in the kitchen and stuff, but we know that you got bigger plans for yourself. Pause though. I need to know about what this degree, like the curriculum was for about, I've never heard. I didn't even know that existed. So what did that entail? Well, I went to Cornell university and it's the okay. hotel program. It's the hotel school. Um, so, uh, as a freshman going in, you decide whether you're going to kind of concentrate in rooms and lodging or food and beverage. Um, so I pretty much had a concentration in food and beverage, um, but I did learn a little bit more. Um, I, I learned this a little bit about what it means to like run a successful hotel business as well. But like, you know, hotels literally are 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And I was like, no, none of that has any interest to me whatsoever. And I just knew in the back of my mind, like, I'm just here to, like, get this degree thing so that my mom will be happy and then I can go about my business. <laughs> That's so then. So let me ask you this, because we'll get to how you ended up in L.A. and, yeah. and becoming successful and, and being an actress. But. Did you ever work hospitality, food and beverage? And were you ever considered a know-it-all because you actually had a degree in it? You know, I, I did, when I first graduated, I did um, move to Los Angeles and I knew that I needed to, to pay my way while I was here um, and in training and in a scholarship program, I'm sure we'll get we'll touch on in a second. So I ended up getting a job as a, as assistant manager of a cafe on Melrose. That was probably the most that I ever utilized my degree, but it also comes in handy in moments of like being at the restaurant and the waiters acting shady. And I'm like, no, the number one rule is the customer is always right. <laughs> so sometimes I, you're like i'm on tv but don't get it twisted i got a degree in hospitality <laughs> right like hold up there are better ways to handle this and let me show you how it's done so i have pulled that party trick out once in a while mm -hmm. uh, i love that but That's for the most part i don't remember anything that i learned at cornell 
That's hilarious. Okay, so you graduate. Yeah. Then what was the next step for you? Well, prior to even graduating, I was like, how can I get to Los Angeles? Like, what is what is a good access point for me to get there? Um, and a girlfriend that I went to college with was talking about these dance scholarship programs that they had at Broadway Dance Center, which was in New York. And then they had one at Edge Performing Arts Center, which is in L.A. Two completely different schools, but like the same type of scholarship program so I, I looked up everything that I needed to look up for that and they give this scholarship out to 20 dancers every year um, and there's an audition every August um, and so I was like well this sounds like a good way for me to at least like get in let's just like see what happens um, so I went to the audition there was probably like eh, 200 people there um, and I ended up getting the scholarship It was, um, you know, that was just one of those like justifiable moments of like, okay, yeah, this is what I'm doing and this is what I should be doing. And uh, I think it's also a wonderful program for people that have never been in Los Angeles and don't know what that life is like, because there's 19 other people that are just like, you know, fresh also. So it was like an instant community of people that I had to, to lean on. Um, in these, I love that. That's incredible. That's such, that's so validating too. Yeah, it was. It was really nice. There was a lot of like just check marks like that along the journey that were like, okay, yeah, we're just gonna keep doing this. Yeah. So I mean, you obviously had the check marks as you mentioned, but what were some of the experiences that you had that you had to overcome in terms of adversity? And did your race and gender ever play a part in any of those obstacles that you experienced along the way? <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> She's like, I was waiting for these questions, Melinda. <laughs> oh, okay, so race actually played a huge part of my initiation into the industry, per se. Um, I grew up in a in a home um, with my mother, who, and I'm, I'm mixed race, and I grew up with my, my white mother, my Caucasian mother, um, and there was a lot that I feel like I didn't get from culturally, that I didn't get culturally from growing up in that household, um, so I really did feel like I was figuring out a lot of things, not only about what it means to be a dancer in Los Angeles and what it means to be auditioning for the industry, but also like, who am I? Mm. Because I grew up with this, uh, this idea of, of who I was and who my mom wanted me to be, but the way that people saw me and especially in an industry that puts you in boxes that has to put you in boxes in order to figure out exactly where they can place you in the industry. I was looked at very differently than the idea that had been ingrained in my head. Mm -hmm. Um, So there was a lot of hurdles in those first couple of years because, you know, when I started auditioning in Los Angeles, it was 2003 a really different time than it is now um and you know a lot of the breakdowns would just say like black girl 
right? <laughs> and the brick, yeah. like in, in, the, in the industry, still, but not nearly as much as it did back then, had a very specific idea for what a black girl should be. Yeah. And I was terrified by that because I don't know how to be anything but the idea that had been ingrained in my head for so long. Mm. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really fit the bill many, many, many times. Um, but a job came, uh, an opportunity came for me to audition for the first national tour of Oprah Winfrey's The Color Purple. <laughs> well, I love it. something to you, Melinda, because you're my friend. But... Well, you admitted it to a lot of people. No, <laughs> it's time. I'm letting everybody know. Why am I afraid I know what you're going to say? But go ahead. I had never seen the color purple. I, you knew well, I knew you were going to say it. I, I was like, she better not say she had never seen the color purple. I know. I, wow. The space right now, you guys. Um, no, I know. I had never seen it. I had obviously heard of it. But there was like, there was a lot of uh, sheltering happening yeah. in my in my upbringing a lot- and a lack of exposure probably just to diversity but also maybe because your mom was unaware you know all of those things came into play it was a really different time growing up in the in the 80s and the 90s um and it was still really uh difficult for my mom to be she wasn't in a uh a, bi- a mixed race relationship but you know she obviously had a kid <laughs> with someone that didn't look like her. Um, and she was still battling with a lot of those own personal hurdles back then and just trying to shelter yeah. me from her own pain that she had been experiencing, not not fully understanding that like I was going to be experiencing a whole nother level of pain um, by not being able to like truly identify with who I was. So I hadn't seen the color purple, but it was like, okay, well, now it's time. (laughs) The time is now. Um, So I ended up making it pretty far in the audition process here in Los Angeles, but the callbacks were in New York City. And so um, I took the movie on the plane with me and I watched it on the plane. And, um, you know, that changed everything about my audition and the rest of the, the process moving forward. Um, did you cry at the end? Yeah, I cried on the plane. I did. I cried throughout the whole thing. Really, it was like this was just like such a like I can't believe I'm I'm I've never seen this before, and I can't believe this is the first time that this is happening. Like it was all just a very emotional moment. Yeah, (laughs) and it's a masterpiece. It's It's truly a masterpiece. Absolutely, and to be given the opportunity in the beginning, so far along in the process, to be able to you know be a part of that masterpiece um in musical form was um was really exciting to me so i ended up booking that job um which relocated us to chicago we we built the show in chicago and we ran the show for six months um in chicago and you know that was really my first time being around an entire room of just black folks and it was my first time being submerged into that culture and oh man I'll never forget the first week 
um, they decided that they wanted to have a soul food potluck. And, I, and you know, a potluck, y'all bring something. You got to contribute something to that pot. Right, right. And I looked over at one of my friends in the show and I was like, what's soul food? So. And you got, you got looks. I got looks, but I also was like, okay, we see what we're, what we, we've got here. We're working with you, what we're dealing with here. And from that moment on, it was like this submersion into this culture that I was like, I cannot believe that I'm just now arriving, but I am mm. so happy that I'm finally here. I love but, it. Do you feel like you were met where you were at or did you feel like you were judged or ridiculed at any point I didn't because of that? judged or ridiculed to my face, at least. Um, <laughs> you know, there, there might have been a few conversations on the low, but uh, I felt like I was met exactly where I was. I felt like I was taken care of. Uh, I spent the next three years traveling the country with these people and they became some of the most important people in my life to this day. Um, and yeah, I wouldn't be where I am today without that, having that experience. And, you know, it was, I, it, it could be looked at as though it came a little late in life, but I think it was just right on time. Yeah. I, I, I love that story for you, but I also love it for, the black community as a whole, because I feel like as much as we, you know, we could tease each other and give each other a hard time. Like there is this kind of unspoken family dynamic within the black community, no matter what. So even you may be given a hard time, like, girl, you don't know. Like I made, I, when you asked me about cocoa butter one time, I was like, girl, you know, but I was going to tell you the answer after I gave you a hard time about it, but it's cause I, I love you. You know what I mean? So I, I, I love that you were accepted, but probably you were still made fun of a little bit. Oh, of course. I mean, but that's just the way that it is. I mean, it's all, but it's all from love. Everything comes from love in this community. And that's the piece that I'm just like, wow, I spent so many years being afraid. And now I'm, I'm just so thankful. I love that. Well, you are working with a beautiful community on your show, um, on That Girl Lele on Nickelodeon. You guys are in your second season now, correct? Yeah. And how is it working with an ensemble cast like that? Because I can only imagine that it's rewarding, but also simultaneously, maybe it can be challenging because of navigating people's work ethics, navigating personalities and figuring out things like that. But also it's just this beautiful black cast. So how have you as an ensemble figured out the best way to work with each other and deal with any conflicts when you're on set? Well, I think the the most beautiful thing about this experience in particular is it came out of a moment when everybody was living in this land of uncertainty. This job happened uh, like in the height of the pandemic. Like we all, nobody knew what was happening in the industry. There was still so much, so many question marks all across the board. So I think we all came into this with so much gratitude. The production side, the crew, the actors, like everybody is just like pouring into this communal cup of gratitude on a daily mm. basis. And I think that anytime any sort of adversity or any sort of like 
anything that comes up, we always can pull from that bowl because we've all poured in so much to that. Um, but I think that they did a really good job of casting the show. Yeah. Um, because the chemistry and the love is so genuine. Um, the gentleman that plays my husband, Thomas Hobson, um, <laughs> he and I were the last two to be cast. So they went through the, all the kids first, um, and then the parents were last. And Tommy and I have such a long history of friendship and working together. We've been working together on many shows over like a decade plus, like maybe 12 years or something like that. So we found each other in the chemistry read and we were like, chemistry, come on. (laughs) You're like, we got this. We got this. It's booked. It's booked. Down. Um, so because we have such a bond and such a union that's so strong already, we're able to keep us united as a family because, you know, it starts from the top. We're not the top of like the food chain by any means here, but in our little TV family, we're the parents, you know? And so the kids are constantly looking to us for um support and guidance and you know to listen and Tommy and I are like such lovers uh as people we love hugging and we love checking in and making sure everybody's okay and so we because our bond is so strong and how we feel about this job is so strong it just keeps the flow moving so nicely and so well I mean, there really hasn't been a lot of things that we've bumped up against um, that have caused any sort of tension on the set too much. I mean, everybody was, I think the highest point of tension was like, are we getting season two or not? Right. Tell us. (laughs) I know you know. We all know you know. You're like, but I need to make plans. Do I need to be auditioning or should I just be like, okay, I'm cool. For- yeah, so you taking my family away from me or what? That was pretty much like the, the height of it. Yeah, no, for sure. Do you ever feel pressure as an actress being on such an iconic network as Nickelodeon? <laughs> um, I just, yes, I feel pressure as an actress, like period. <laughs> You're like, stop there. It's not even about Nickelodeon. Period. Um... I think that the sometimes I feel like like this is my first series regular, right? And this is my first time being um, like a mom like this. You know what I mean? Um, I've been a mom to like little tiny kids, but this is like moms being a mom to like teenagers with like opinions and like views and things like that. So sometimes I do feel a little bit of pressure because I'm not a mom in real life. Um, that I'm that the, I, I question like the authenticity of some of my choices sometimes. Um, I also think that Tommy, my, my TV husband, is just so incredibly brilliant as Bryce on this show. And I sometimes feel like I just need to pull up and like make sure that I am like ping-ponging with him um, in the most effective way. Um, But yeah, sometimes I feel like 
I, I'm just trying to maintain the authenticity of, of being a mom and representing a like happy, successful and powerful black family. Um, yeah. But Nickelodeon, I, I mean, Nickelodeon is mostly known for like the gags, right? Like getting messy. Um, and they don't, we don't do a ton of that on our show, but every now and then it creeps in. And so, yeah, I get a little bit worried that my hair is going to get a little jacked up. But other than that, we're good. You know, for me, and I, and I know you mentioned growing up that you weren't necessarily exposed to a lot of black culture. <clears throat> and I know for me, I was very much so. Um, even with TV and film and just the things that my parents took us to. And we had a whole kind of like a black renaissance in the 90s with all of these sitcoms and TV shows and everything. And I love seeing shows like that, Girlele, because I think it falls into that category. So in 2022, like how important do you think this show really is for people to see? You know, I didn't think it was going to be as impactful as it was as it is um mostly because it is a show on nickelodeon and that's not a network that is you know commonly watched amongst people that aren't <laughs> uh younger than 15 maybe yeah kids yes yeah. yeah so um i didn't think that it was going to touch as many hearts and touch as many families as it has but um, the feedback that I'm constantly getting from the network and from our showrunner, David A. Arnold, is that uh, the parents are so important on this show because they're the ones that keep it grounded and keep it, it uh, yeah, grounded in a, in a space of reality. A lot of kids shows when the parents or adult characters come on it's just like oh i'm gonna look the other way and not notice what you're doing and then i'm gone you know it's like not there's no real like storyline but the, what they're doing on our show is they're giving the the parents um and the adults a lot more uh responsibility and so they're it's not it's no longer just a kid show but the parents that of the kids that are watching our show they can enjoy watching it as well so it has transitioned in just one season from being a kid show to a family show mostly because of the relationship with the parents and the relationship between the parents and the kids i love that the fact that we can bring joy to the whole family is my favorite part about this show that's amazing. Have you, or maybe Tommy, I, I doubt the kids would, but specifically you guys ever had to have conversations about how the Black Family Unit is portrayed on television and any of the writing or the scripts that you've received before you film them? Have you ever had to have conversations like that with the network? Um, there are moments, I would say, that, gosh, I don't know. They, like, take out some of the dialect if you will sometimes but mm -hmm. our showrunners are so adamant about keeping this true to the culture yeah that we find ways to sprinkle them all back in and ways that both the network and the uh executives can agree on um 
And I think that is the piece that keeps this show so grounded in, in reality and um, in truth. And that's what's making it so successful. Um, we, in within the writing, they have no problem displaying or demonstrating this like beautiful, successful, happy family. And they're just trying to keep it right in that world. There are some moments that we are playing with, with um, some adversity in some, in season two. And I think like, as we move further in season three, fingers crossed, um, that they are going to tap a little bit farther into that because we've got a lot of episodes, um, 39 episodes to be exact for season two, which is like, you know, a lot of topics and ground to cover. Like we can't, a lot of lines to learn. Yes, girl. <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot. But, you know, there's we've got to fill up 39 episodes for season two with different story and different things. So um, I think they're going to continue leaning into all of the things that we explore and experience as a Black fan. Well, that's, that's really great to hear because I do love hearing from people that are working on big networks that they do feel supported in that. And I love that there is um, the aim to keep everything authentic and not just palatable for whoever's watching it. You know, I think that that's one of the things, you know, it's it may be a light show, but when you present people in their authentic selves, that will help out in the real world. Yeah with all of the other issues that we have in this country, you see people as themselves and it's normal. You just see a normal loving black family and a white kid is watching it. It's just going to be normal to them because that's what they're seeing. There's nothing different. So I love the show for that aspect of it. So this is huge. This is huge. It's a big, it's a big time. We share the time. We share the hour with young Dylan. So we are that Thursday night. Bam. Mm -hmm. I love it. I love it. So for you, your personal goals, where do you see yourself other than being a series regular on a successful TV show? What do you see for yourself in the future? Yeah. You know, it's wild. I was like running on the hamster wheel for like a decade. Probably literally because you're so athletic, but anyway. Literally, (laughs) yes. (laughs) For so long, just trying to get here, you know, Um, that it has... I think we as, as entertainers and actors are constantly like trying to figure out what that next thing is. Okay, now I'm here. Okay, what, what else can I do? And what more can I do? And of, of course, I've, I've had thoughts and like I'm dreaming of, of things that I want to do, but I'm also trying to stay so incredibly present and grateful for the, the life that I am living right now and just trying to enjoy being here um but i have done quite a bit of television and like the dramatic episodic procedural world and i could absolutely see myself going back to something like that um when nickelodeon is done but i would like to venture a little bit more into some film work uh because i've done so much tv working on getting that series regular i would love to start working more in films And, you know, I am a really athletic person and I have a very strong dance background and I would love to be able to use that strength and ability of movement that I have in some sort of like action 
type of role. I think I could do well in that, Melinda. Absolutely. (laughs) Anybody listening, cast her. I see it. I see it. I think that that could work really well for me. But again, I'm just so, so thankful that this is the place that I landed for my first big coming out series regular moment that I just want to ride this wave as long as I can. I love that. Well, I'm so proud of you. Thank you so much for just chatting with me and being my friend and all of those things. Can you let everybody know where they can follow you on social media and also when they can watch that girl Layla? Yes. Um, please connect with me on Instagram at it's me, Tiff D. <laughs> I'm obsessed. Oh, same thing for Twitter and TikTok is it. Well, it's me, Tiff D as well. Just type in Tiffany Daniels on TikTok. It'll pop up. You know, someone else had my handle, so I had to put a little period in there. It's fine. Just find me on TikTok. Um, And if you are looking to check out Nickelodeon's That Girl Lele, we are on every Thursday at 7 p.m. starting September 15th. Thank you. I'm so proud of you. (laughs) This was fun. Thanks again for joining us for another episode of We Need to Talk. Make sure you like, comment, subscribe, and share. And join us next week for a brand new episode. We need to talk.